Well, uh, listen, I want to um, begin by sharing some thoughts from Martin Luther. Uh, many of you know who Martin Luther is. He's a great reformer, a preacher, a scholar, amazing man of God that lived in the 16th century uh, in the midst of something called the plague. Do you remember that? Well, it, it's quite, quite common in the midst of the plague that the doctors would wear this. And it's uh, known, actually this uh, very hood exists in a Martin Luther exhibit uh, right now, and it is quite possible, probably probable, that Martin Luther in his ministry amongst the people in his day that had the plague wore such a mask. Now, it's a bit odd looking, but there is a reason for the mask. The long nose, they filled with all kinds of oils and scents. First of all, the scents so that you wouldn't smell death, and the oils in order that it would protect you from the germs and the disease was doing it. So it wasn't just something they came up with. They they packed that thing with different fragrances and different oils. The eyes are these crystals which would operate as goggles and obviously the head protection with regard to uh, a protection from the plague that was spreading. But Martin Luther would have wore that as he ministered, prayed with, cared for people in the midst of the plague. Martin Luther, in the midst of the plague, was told many times that he should leave. Uh, Many of his colleagues did. Most of his students did. That, That indeed he would get to a safer place, and yet Martin Luther refused to leave. In fact, it led this whole idea, this question, which is, is really a question uh, somewhat for us, but the, uh, certainly a question for Martin Luther in his day, was what is the biblical thing to do? What is the thing to do as a Christ follower in the midst of the plague? And so out of all of this, he wrote an article. It's called, Whether One Might Flee from the Deadly Plague. You can find it. It's online. I read it this week. It's only 15 pages. But in it, he says this, My place is here. Obedience will not permit my flight till he who called me recalls me. Not that I do not fear death, for I am not the Apostle Paul, I am only his commentator. But I hope that the Lord will deliver me from fear. So good words. My place is here. Obedience will not permit my flight, so he who called me recalls me, says Martin Luther in the midst of the plague. Now get me right, what we are facing in the coronavirus is not the plague, right? Some may treat it as such, man, I think that it is as such, but it is, it is not the plague. What we face is not the plague, but it should cause us, even in this day, as Christ followers, to ask the question, what would Jesus have me, or what would Jesus have his church do in the midst of a world health crisis? That's a question that we should be asking. If indeed uh, you are here this morning and you've been obsessed with, oh my goodness, what might happen to me, I'm glad you're here, because this morning we're going to vacate what might happen to me to to the reality of what should be happening through me in such a day as this. So, so here, here we go. What, what is it to be a Christ follower in the midst of where we are in a world health crisis? Guess what, too? Providentially, I, I love when God does these things, right? 
Like he knew we'd be in Colossians. He knew when the coronavirus would come. And he knew he would be here when we hit chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Are you ready? I mean, I don't make this stuff up. I don't, I don't know how it works, but God in his infinite wisdom does. And so I want you to turn there this morning, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, as we address the question of what do we, what does the church do in the midst of a world health crisis? I, I, I want to remind you uh, that we're working our way through the book of Colossians, Lord willing, we might be here next week to finish Colossians. Uh, stay tuned. <laughs> to understand whether that is going to happen or, or not. But, but we, we find ourselves at the end of this book with, with some very practical advice for life. And, and I want to make sure that we, we're putting it into the context of the whole book of Colossians as we've studied it since the beginning of January. At the beginning of the book, Paul prays for the church that they would know Jesus more and more. He says that they would know the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why would Paul want the church to know Jesus? That sounds like an obvious question, but e- even more obvious is the reality of the answer to that, because Jesus is everything. Paul writes, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if that is true, if he is indeed God in that way, then we want to know the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Trust me, you, your elders this week have prayed for wisdom and understanding and discernment and knowing what to do in light of even this morning and the events of the life of the church. We want to know Jesus more to have His wisdom and His understanding because He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And and then the news gets better. Paul tells us in chapter 2, the end of 2 and beginning of 3, that our identity is in this Jesus. That while we were dead in our sins, we were made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That we were baptized with Him in His death. That we rose again with Him in His resurrection. And that indeed we are in Christ. Our identity, our being is in Christ. It's good news. So Paul asks, if that is so, how is it then that you will live your life? Well, he says you need to put to death the things of the flesh and put on righteousness given to us by Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at that and how we do that in our relationships. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, and even in those very hard relationships. And then Jeff wisely and and very... uh, masterfully, that's a big word for you, but anyhow, the reality is he did it well last week, right, Uh, in in taking us even to another context in Ephesians to to share that same uh, principle in in our lives. How does this begin to work itself out? Well, this morning we find some final remarks from the Apostle Paul that are further instructions, and again, I want us to hear them this morning as instructions to us as his church in the midst of facing a world health crisis. So turn with me, if you're not already there, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each 
person. And may God help us in the understanding of his word. Here's the, here's the short-term uh, sentence, right? Here's the short sentence of the whole message today, right? We're to pray hard, live well, and repeat often. Can you say that with me? Ready? We're to pray hard, live well, and repeat often. <laughs> Read the book, right, Molly? That's it. Right? Right? So, so here it is. This is what Paul is saying. But Paul knows that we're in a coronavirus crisis, and, and, and he says to us this morning to his church, this is, this is how you respond as a Christ follower. You pray hard, you live well, and you repeat often. Let's look at that. First he says pray hard, verses 2 through 4. Pray hard. Uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. First of all, I, I want us to see that as we pray hard, we're to pray for ourselves. That's hard for some of you, isn't it? I, I want you to hear it in the text because midway through verse 2, Paul says, hey, also pray for us. And as he says, also pray for us, I think what he's saying is, hey, this first prayer, this first idea of praying steadfastly and continually is to pray for yourself. But that's hard for some people. I've had people come to me and go, man, are, are, we, are we allowed to pray for ourselves? I said, no, never pray for yourself. God doesn't want you to do that. No, of course you are. And I think Paul sets it up here in the reality that, that we're to pray for us. So when Paul says pray also for us, the assumption is that this opening instruction of prayer is to pray for ourselves. Now be careful, because I think sometimes as we think about praying for ourselves, uh, and even as we do pray for ourselves, we can tend to, in our selfishness, pray selfishly. Like, dear Jesus, when I was a teenager, this was my prayer. A Trans Am would be a really cool car for me. I mean, the chicks that I could get with a Trans Am, right? For your glory, of course, right, in, in doing it, right? I, and, and we chuckle at that, but I, I'm telling you, that was a prayer of mine as a teenager. I really never got it. I drove a Dodge Dart. God has a sense of humor. But the reality is that we have to be careful as we pray for ourselves. It's not an open door to pray selfishly for the things that we want, that somehow we want God to get on our wavelength of the things that we know we need for us, right? I think if you're here this morning, your maturity level has you past that point, right? But I, I don't want us to give up praying for ourselves. What does that prayer look like? What, what is that prayer? That, that prayer is a surrendered prayer, Right? God, what, what would it be that you would have me do? Who would it be that you would have me be in, in the midst of my life and the people that you've placed around us? What does that look like in a health crisis? Is that prayer, God, I pray that I don't get sick? Yeah, I, I think that's okay. You have permission from your pastor to pray that you don't get sick. But, but don't stop there. Allow the Spirit of God to, to flow in and, and take you deeper because there's a reality that, that as He ministers to you in the reality of, of His peace in the midst of whatever circumstances might come your way, there are greater things, I think, to pray about. I, I think we need to pray as individuals and as a church that God would protect us from fear. 
Because it's clear in the scripture, right, that he's not given us a spirit of fear, power, sound mind, faith. It'd be good to pray for ourselves that we'd protect, be protected from fear. I, I, it would be good to pray for ourselves that we would be filled with faith, trusting him. And whatever might come. Uh, it would be good to pray that, that he would make our call clear for such a day as this. It would be good to pray, how is it, God, that we might make much of you in these days? How is it, God, that you would involve me in someone's life that, that indeed might expand your kingdom? Pray for yourself. But, but pray that way. And then I love what Paul says here. That as we pray, that we be watchful in it with thanksgiving. I, these are verses that I probably have not studied well before. They're kind of blown by them. But when I hit this, I was like, holy cow, listen to what Paul is saying. But pray for yourself. But pray for yourself being ever watchful in thanksgiving. What does that mean? That means God's going to answer your prayer. <laughs> And, and, and what you need to do is you need to be aware that he's in your prayer, answering your prayer, that you might be thankful for his answer. It's a promise there. He says, don't pray, don't pray in such a way that you go, man, God, I, I hope you hear me. I hope you do this. I hope you do. No, 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 no. Listen, pray with confidence that the, the, the God of heaven and the God of earth hears you, knows you, and is at work to answer you. Maybe not, listen, maybe not the very way that you would have him, answer but he's answering so be watchful what's he going to do where's God going to interview how is he going to answer that prayer what's he going to do in the midst of your scenario how is it that God is going to bless you in the midst of this? be watchful because God is indeed in the business of answering our prayers as we surrender our lives to him and then be thankful that he's doing so such a cool little segment right Continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful. Be, be looking out because God is in it. God's going to answer it. God's going to use his church for his glory. So pray for yourself, but then Paul continues. He says, pray for others. Don't only pray for yourselves in the scenario you find yourself in, but pray for others. Paul specifically points them to pray for him and others who are prisoned in Rome. That God would open a door for the word. I love the prayer, right? Paul's not praying. Listen, Paul doesn't say, pray for us that we get out of prison. Hear it, right? Paul's not, pray for us that, that we're okay. He says, listen, I want you to pray that the word goes forth. That the mysteries of Christ are proclaimed. And, and, and even that I could make it so simple that this guard who's over me might understand it. Because the reason that I'm in prison, the reason that I'm here surrendered in the sovereignty of God is the reality that the gospel might go forth. The reason that I'm suffering is that the gospel might go forth. And that's what Paul prays for. So, so pray for yourself, but, but pray for others. And should it not be, as we've done this morning, uh, be a time that we pray for the church in China? Do you know the church in China is thriving? I know, shh, they're not allowed to meet, but they are. 
and the reality of what has happened in, in, in Wuhan and, and, and in other places in the midst of China, that, that the church would arise? What if we, as the people of God in America, would begin to pray distinctly and specifically for the church in China, that in a day such as this, who have suffered so much loss and so much catastrophe, instead of shaming them or blaming them, that we begin to pray for the church to rise up, that, that the nation of China would know of Jesus in these days. To pray for the church in Iran, you know what, the, I've told you this before, you know what the fastest growing church in the world is? It's the church in Iran. And yet they've been hit hard, epicenter, all these words that we're now learning, right? Of the reality of this flu. Pray that those home churches, those house churches, arise in ways that, that, that they see miracles happening in their midst and proclaim it to the glory of God, that they are the servants to those who are hurting and lost and hopeless. To pray for the church in Italy, to pray for the church around the globe, to pray for others, even others in your midst, to pray for your pastor, for your leaders as we try to make wise decisions as we move on, not so that we can somehow look good or brave, responsible or whatever, but that the word of God would go forth. Right? Because, you know what's, what's cool about this is that those churches, especially larger churches that have canceled, they're streaming this live. You know what? I just pray that thousands of more people hear those messages that they would have if they would have showed up on church on Sunday morning. Right? That, that, that here we begin to pray for others that the gospel would go forth. That the mysteries of Christ would be known. And that indeed it would be said in simple ways that it might be understood, grasped, and believed. We need to be praying not only for ourselves, but we need to be praying for others. I, I know that's overwhelming at times. Like, oh, that's like way too much information. So here, here's, a, here's a help for you, right? You may know a missionary in another nation. Um, you may just be impassioned by something that you've heard on the news. Would you just pick one place <laughs> and begin to pray fervently for it? Fervently. That indeed the church of Jesus Christ would arise and that God would be glorified in those places. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. And this text tells us to pray steadfastly. This is the fervent, this is the pray like crazy part, a part that I'm not good at, confession, a, a, a part that, that, that I think the church in America is not good at, this idea of fervent, being, literally the Greek is being devoted to prayer. I'm devoted to a lot of things, prayer is probably not one of them. But, but here, Paul tells me, right, in such a time as this, what can I do as a Christ follower in the midst of a health crisis? I could pray fervently, passionately. To find that I'm praying and spending more time in the spiritual realm than I am even in the natural realm. That indeed God would be glorified, moved, and have his way. Because there's, there's a lot that I would love to do to be active in a time like this. But how exponentially would God be honored and glorified if I indeed spent fervent time on my knees praying for the world? Praying for myself, praying for others. Rather than possibly working hard on earth and asking God somehow to bless our efforts, we might pray steadfastly, being devoted 
to prayer. And then he says this to pray continually. I love that the church in Colossae is known by Paul as a church of prayer. So he says, continue. He says, you're already doing this. Keep doing it. I would pray that someday Paul might say that of me, that he might say that of us as a church, that man, we're such a great praying church. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. Pray continually. Because Paul is never going to let up. Jesus is never going to let up. He says, continue, push on, and do so in the realms of God through prayer. Get it? Listen, what, what are we to do as the church in the midst of a health crisis? Pray hard. And then he says this, live well. Live well. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Quick backdrop here to these next verses that serve kind of as a review. Uh, Let me ask you, why did Paul write the letter of Colossians? To make much of Jesus. Wow. I've said it several times, right? So why did Paul write the book of Colossians? To make much of Jesus. And the reason that he had to make much of Jesus is there was this this, uh, philosophical disease in the life of the church. It was called syncretism, right? That that in Colossae, uh, Christianity had been introduced, but what they had done is they kind of added it on to other things. So the the Jews still were kind of Jewish in in the sense of their Jewish traditions, but now they have Jesus. And and the Gentiles were still in their pagan ways, but now they have Jesus. And and all these things were getting mixed up, and they were making less of Jesus. And so Paul writes and saying, listen, in order for you not to be so syncretistic, you need to be making much of Jesus and the other things will fade away. But there's a, there's a danger in that. And, and I think Paul here addresses it in just a few words because there's this pendulum swing, right? Uh, I, I don't know if you ever see this in your own life. We certainly see it in the life of the church at times where God says, okay, uh, you're over here. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so we go running all the way over to here, which is just the exact opposite, right? And so here's Paul's fear that there's syncretism. You're mixing all these things together. Don't do that. Don't do that. Make much of Jesus. And he was fearful that the church would pendulum swing over to a place of isolationism. Where they would go, Jesus, 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 forget about you world, forget about you pagans, forget about you lost, it's just about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he's going, listen, I don't want you to isolate yourself, so here's a, here's a little hint, right? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Don't, 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 just get caught, don't get caught up in the syncretism, make much of Jesus, but make much of Jesus to the world. Not to yourselves. Don't live in your bubble. Walk in wisdom. And I love this when he says, toward outsiders. He doesn't say, walk in wisdom when outsiders come up and knock on your door. You know, walk in wisdom when outsiders ask you a question. No, he said, listen, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You know what that means? We've got to get out of our pews, out of our churches, and move towards the world. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Oh, there's so much about this verse that I love and want to give you probably a year's worth of sermons on. But you get it, right? You you hear it? The Apostle Paul, he, he always thought that Jesus was coming tomorrow. You notice that in his writing? It's like he wrote in such a way, it's like, yeah, he could be here tomorrow. The second coming's coming sometime. It, it could be tomorrow. 
And, and so when he writes, make, do this, making the best use of the time, the time is, hey, the time before he comes again. Because like, he could probably come tomorrow. Now, we've heard a lot of coronavirus. Uh, uh, be nice, Rick. Speakers who want to make much of this as the end of time, right? Uh, and, and I'm here to say, listen, I don't know when Jesus is coming again. He could come with the coronavirus. I don't know. I don't think so. But I don't know. But here, here's what I do know. He is coming. And, and, and here's the reality, is that we live today in a time in which the world is going nuts. So make the best use of the time, church, and walk towards the outsiders in wisdom. With wisdom. Aaron mentions the crazy people buying 13 packages of toilet paper and stuffing them in their basement. The reality is, is those are the very people we need to walk in wisdom toward. The reality is, is that we need to bring hope to people who are losing hope. We need to bring peace to a people that seem to be in chaos. How do we do that? How do we, how do we walk in wisdom toward outsiders? Well, thank you very much, Paul. You've, you've told us. We do this with gracious words. Hear this, people of God, that our words in this day would be gracious. Not politically charged, please. Not angry not fearful, not about us, not blaming, but Paul says gracious, that they be soft, that they be hopeful. That they be Christ-like. That our words, as we walk towards outsiders, would be gracious. What if what if as Christ followers, we began conversations more about Jesus and ran from the conversations of conspiracy? We lived our lives out in such a way that people saw us living in faith rather than in fear. For many of us, including me, that leads us back to point one, right? But we'll get to that in a minute that we pray hard, <laughs> that God would change our heart, that we might, in gracious words, walk towards outsiders. That leads us to the second thing that he says, how, how are we to walk towards, in wisdom towards outsiders uh, with gracious words, but also with seasoned salt? We're called out to be a salty people, preserving truth with a flash of passion. I like that. That we might consider every action that we do, every word that we say, somehow be meant to move people to the kingdom of God. Gracious words, soft words, that people may actually begin to listen, but words with intention that actually lead them to Jesus. It might mean that it starts with just a kind word, a kind action, but let's pray together that it, it leads to an opportunity to let people know the reason that we are peaceful in this chaos, that we are able to have hope when the world scrambles for some control of their own in the midst of hopelessness. And that would be Jesus. 
So that as we use gracious words seasoned with salt, that we might always have an answer, Paul says. Listen, over and over again, one of the greatest lies that the devil lays on Christians is that they need to know more than we know to talk about Jesus. So if I ask you, why is it that you don't talk about Jesus, you don't witness to people, there's church terms, right, that we don't share Jesus with other people, well, maybe they'll ask a question I don't know. So, like, I'm going to make sure that I know all of the, right, is this this the idea? That we're going to know all of the answers before I share Jesus? No. So, the, the, the lie that the devil says is, listen, you don't know enough. So just shut up. No, listen, what Paul says is we, we should have gracious words seasoned with salt about our own relationship with Jesus that we might have an answer. Because, listen, the answers that we do have, the personal answers of peace in the midst of chaos, of hope and hopelessness, are, are not theological terms. Uh, Elijah uh, Bombeck's here this morning. We send him to seminary for all the smart stuff, Right? Um, but the reality is, is that, that and, and that's good that he gets all the smart stuff, but the reality is, is we all know enough to give an answer to the reality of knowing Jesus. Don't be lied to. I guarantee you that if you begin to share Jesus, someday someone is going to an- ask you a question, you ready for this, that you don't know the answer to. Here would be my response. You ready? This is, this is deep stuff. You ready? You say, I don't know. <laughs> right? So if you're Fonzie, that, that's hard to say sometimes. I don't know. But, but listen, that, that's an okay answer. Go find the answer. Ask Elijah Bombeck or Jeff Newell, right? Some of the smart guys, Right? And, and then return to him. But it, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. But listen, I, I don't know. But listen, let me tell you the peace that I have even in not knowing. <laughs> that we always have an answer. Gracious words seasoned with salt that we might always have an answer. And Paul gives us a simple evangelism. Live well. Live well. That people will see that something is different about you. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And as you have conversation, use gracious words, seasoned with the salt of the gospel, that people will ask you about your faith. Pray hard, live well, and then this repeat often. I go back to the first word of our text. It says, continue. Continue. Uh, listen, do you know, church, what will happen if we begin to pray hard for ourselves, for our church, and, and for our world? Well, when we begin to pray hard, we're going to be inspired to what? Live well. Right? So as we come off our knees or we come out of prayer, the reality of praying for someone is going to, us to, to lead us to live well before that person. So as we pray hard, we're going to live well. And guess what? When we live well, it's going to drive us to do what? Pray hard. <laughs> it's this cycle, right? If we pray hard, we'll be inspired to live well. When we begin to live well, when we begin to live out our faith before people and, and, and share seasoned with salt responses to their questions, 
We're going to pray more. And Paul says, that's a beautiful cycle that I would love for you all to enter into. Praying hard, living well, that causes you to pray hard, that causes you to live well, pray hard, live well, repeat often. The problem often is is that our cycle is very different, right? We don't pray much, and so we're afraid to live well. And then we don't live well, and it drives us away from praying hard. Crazy cycle. Church, how do we respond to a world in a health crisis? We get back on track of praying hard, living well, and repeating it often. So we are challenged to make the best use of this time. Yes, the time of coronavirus. What will we do? What will we do to make much of Jesus? I I would say maybe this morning we proclaim together with Luther, our place is here. Our place is here. Our time is now, church, to rise up and to be a witness of hope for such a time as this, that we might make much of Jesus. Can we this morning, the remnant of you here today, to commit to pray hard, to live well, and repeat often? Let's pray together.